0: Good morning and welcome to Current, I'm David. So excited you guys could join us and really excited to celebrate two baptisms later today. We're celebrating two at the end of today's service, two more next week. So I hope you can join us for that as well. And with baptism actually coming up here in a little bit, I wanna jump straight into today's text and teaching. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 12. We're gonna be looking at the first three verses. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be up on the screen. You can follow along that way. But today we're concluding our series, Hope in 2020, a series that we've been in because we could all use hope right now. 2020 has been a hard year. We could all use hope. This series has been an upward-inward series, which is to say it's a series where we've been looking to God and His promises for strength, even in the midst of hard times. Next week, I'm excited to kick off a new series that we're calling We're Still the Church, which is going to be an upward-outward series as we remind ourselves of the mission uh, as a church to reach out and love those around us even in the midst of times like shelter in the place. Uh, Of course, we have to get creative about it, but our mission hasn't changed. So hopefully you can be here and join us for that as we kick that series off next week. But today we conclude our series, Hope in 2020. And I think looking at the the letter to the Hebrews is a great place to conclude our series because the, the writer was writing to a group of Christians who were facing really hard times. And we're starting to feel tired, starting to grow weak, starting to grow weary. Something that I think many of us are feeling right now. And so I think it's really helpful to see in this text today at least two matchless ways that we too can endure in the face of hard times. So let's go ahead and look to Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. All right, we see here at least two ways to help us endure in the face of hardship. First, we see that we're able to endure hardship when we recognize that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, The the, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And that's really the language here we see here uh, in in this text when it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Uh, We don't need perseverance for short distances. We need perseverance for the long haul. I have a few friends who run marathons, and what each of them have told me is that just as important as training your body physically for a marathon, you need to train your mind for a marathon. I mean, there's just such a physical component, of course, obviously, but also a very strong mental component for running the race. And what each of them have actually also told me is that at least for them, the hardest part of running a marathon is the middle of the race. Because the beginning of the race, you have you know, a fresh body, lots of energy, the excitement of the race, getting ready to start. And then at the end of the race, you have the finish line in sight and you're able to, yeah, sure, you're tired, but press through and onward toward it. But it's in the middle of the race when there's nobody else there watching you. And when you've already gotten really tired from running a a long race so far, but you still have a long race yet to go, it's then that my friends say it's really the make it or break it point of the race when you battle thoughts like, I can't keep going. This is too much. I'm too tired. I don't have the strength to carry on. But friends, I think sometimes, without even realizing it, we start to live life or, or the Christian faith as if it's a sprint and not a marathon. Just going from one spiritual high to the next, or provided, provided life is just good and well, then, my, then I'm feeling good and great and everything's okay but watch out when hard times come or when hard times come and they're sustained for a length of time we're in trouble the hebrews writer here is encouraging us to remember that it's 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 a marathon not a sprint we need to run with perseverance the race marked out for us and i love this this thought, it's a really encouraging thought, it's this idea that this is a race marked out for us. That's saying God's behind our race, each of our individual courses. He's the one who's marked them out for us, which means no matter what comes your way, no matter what you face, with his help, you can keep running. Because he'll never give you anything that you cannot endure, that you cannot handle with his help. In fact, if you look down a few verses beyond our text today, you'll see that God actually even uses hardship to strengthen us for the long haul, to, to, to build up endurance. Right now, many of you are facing really hard things. We're all facing hard things with the pandemic, shelter in place, with natural disasters, uh, with, with social injustice, with a crazy election year coming up with loss of job, with marital strife, with roommate strife, and the the list just goes on and on. So many are struggling right now, but if we're just living life as if it's a sprint or just looking for that next thing, we're going to be in trouble. This writer is saying, hey, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. We Keep running with God's help. It also says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Again, this is running the race type language. It's saying any extra weight or obstacle, just remove. It's not just sin or doing wrong things that can trip us up. Although it's worth spending a little bit of time here. Sin does entangle us. That's a helpful metaphor here. It can can entangle us in our run. And it's not hard to, to see that in our lives if we take a moment to think about it, where if we have a destructive pattern or habit or addiction or whatever it might be, maybe it affects us in direct ways, but maybe it affects us in indirect ways, you know, coming out as as bitterness or hardness of heart or, or impatience over here. So we need to avoid those things, cast off what entangles us. But what this author is saying is, don't just ask, is it sinful? Is it wrong? But ask, is it something getting in the way of of me having greater love, greater courage, greater faith, greater purity, greater uh, patience, greater self-control? Things don't have to be bad in and of themselves to hinder our run. Uh, this last Sunday, uh, when I was sharing uh, the message last week, I kind of offhandedly talked about how our phones can, you know, be a real distraction to us. And one of our leaders sent me a book this week that they had just read. uh saying, hey, I should, you should check this out. And so I, I picked it up. It's a book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And of course, the point of this book is not to say, hey, your smartphone is bad and, you know, get rid of it. It's just to say it's got to be in its proper place in our lives. And at one point, the author actually gives diagnostic questions to help us understand the effect that phones are having in our lives. And I actually want to put these on the screen because I think they're really helpful. But here are just, I'll put them all up there. There's there's 10 of these. I'll just read a few, highlight a few. Do my smartphone habits expose an underlying addiction to untimely amusements? Do my smartphone habits reveal a compulsive desire to be seen and affirmed? Do my smartphone habits distract me from genuine communion with God? Do my smartphone habits preoccupy me with the pursuit of worldly success? Do my smartphone habits mute the sporadic leading of God's spirit in my life? Do my smartphone habits center on what is necessary to me and beneficial to others? Do my smartphone habits disengage me from the needs of the neighbors God has placed right in front of me? That's a really helpful list to just consider. Even something that's really wonderful, like a smartphone, the place it has in our life. And what's actually really helpful about this, Liz, is you can replace or substitute different things in these questions for smartphone. For instance, does my pursuit of work preoccupy me with worldly success? Or does my obsession with politics center me on what is necessary and help me? And is, is, it, are they, is it helpful for me in loving others, even those who don't see things the way I see these things? let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. At the end of the day, this is an invitation into freedom, into running a race unhindered, not entangled, but freely. You know what I'd encourage you to do sometime this week, perhaps even later today, if you can find the time for it, is to take a pad of paper or whatever, Go on a walk or find a quiet space and just list out the different things that are either hindering you or entangling you. Sins, you could you could put those on, on there. You know, uh, different things that might be good, just kind of working through them. You could use that diagnostic questions list to kind of help you think it through. And just consider what are things that might be hindering you right now or entangling you right now. And then after you have that list together, and after you've had a chance to pray it through, in other words, take it to the Lord, either in confession, repentance, or just processing it with Him, I'd encourage you, you don't have to share all of it, but to to process it also with a, a friend in a small group or another trusted friend, just to bring them into your life in that way to help you run the race, if you feel comfortable doing that. But how can you run the race, recognizing that it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's one way we can endure in the face of hardship. The other is we will be able to endure hardship by recalibrating our focus. We'll be able to endure hardship by recalibrating our focus. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In the in the Greek, it actually is a bit of a negative word here. It's saying, let us... Turn our eyes away to Jesus. Meaning there's a lot of things that we can fix our eyes on right now, fix our gaze upon. We can fix our eyes on, you know, the race that we're running. It says, it says don't fix your eyes on the, on, on the hardship of the race. Don't fix your eyes on the, the other runners. Don't even fix your eyes on the things that might hinder you or entangle you. I mean, consider those things, but consider those things as you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. One Christian writer said this, Obviously, there will be occasions when the weights of life hinder our movements in the race, and when the sin which clings so closely impedes our progress, troubles our fellow Christians, mars our witness, and grieves our Lord. At such times, we must look away to Christ and recall that He is seated in the heavens and has died for the forgiveness of sins. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. There's this wonderful story in the gospel book of Matthew where Jesus is walking on the water and one of his disciples, Peter, sees him out on the water and says, hey, I want to come out to you. Can I come out to you? Jesus says, come. And then it says this, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? It went well for Peter, Peter until he started to sink. And why did he start to sink? Well, it's because he took his eyes off Jesus and put them on other things. It says he saw the wind and was afraid. Circumstances can be frightening. You know, when your boss calls you in and lets you know that the company is downsizing and there's no longer a place for you there. Or when the doctor calls you into their office and says they got the report and it's not looking good. Or when a relationship is faltering and it might feel like there's very little hope for you in the midst of it. All these things can scare us. All these things can devastate us. And all these things can cause us to take our eyes off Jesus. But friends, if you're fearful right now, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're worried... Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're growing weary, fix your eyes on Jesus. You might be thinking, well, how can that help? I'm not sure that's going to make any difference. But friend, it makes all the difference in the world because what this is saying is don't just fix your eyes on Jesus in, in any old way. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. These are two incredibly ancient, and rich words. In fact, uh, they're hard to translate. If you look at three different English translations of these words, chances are you'll find three different words for them. Uh, some will say the author and perfecter of faith, or some will say Jesus is the pioneer and finisher of our faith. The first word there is the Greek word archigos, which perhaps the best English translation would, would actually be uh, champion, because it's talking about a stand-in for us, our arch ego. So like a stand-in, our, our champion. And when we think of champion in our culture today, we tend to think of, you know, an accomplished athlete or a fighter that's won about or something like that. But in the ancient times, a champion was so much more. I mean, say, for instance, you know, a group of people were taken hostage and somebody was just attacking. You know, there was, a, there was a villain just coming after them. Those people would need a champion to stand in for them. And that champion would really do two things. One, they would defend the people. That They would, they would take the onslaught upon themselves. Whether it was the, the, the poison or the fire from the, from the dragon, you know, the attack, the champion would defend the people. But the champion would also fight on their behalf, take up the sword, and inflict blows on the attacker. And if your champion lost, you lost. If your champion was victorious, you were victorious. So when the Hebrews writer is saying here that to to look to Jesus as your archegos, as your champion, he's saying that, first of all, look to him as the one who stood in your place and took the blows for you took all the pain, took all the suffering, took death upon himself to defend you so that you would never have to face that yourself. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus took everything that we deserve, including the wrath of God, on himself, even death, so that we don't have to face that. The worst thing that we could face, he took upon himself. But what's more is he not only defends us, he was victorious for us. He he defeated once and for all sin and death in our lives, which means you and I, when we put our faith in him, also will be victorious. Not because of anything we can do, but because of what he has done for us, our champion. And then the second word here is probably best translated finisher. In our text, it says perfecter. I mean, that's good too. But really it's saying, and everything here is finished. In fact, that that was what some of the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross. He said, it is finished. What was finished? His defeating sin and death. It's complete. It is all done. That's why the Hebrews writer goes on to say, he went on to sit, sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's all complete. It's all done. So whenever we face hardship, whenever we face pain and struggle, we know that it's all finished. Whatever we face Even the worst thing, death itself, can only serve to make us stronger and happier. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the champion and finisher of faith. But one more thing here that can help us endure in the face of hardship. Notice how he did it. It says he he went to the cross. He experienced all these things on our behalf for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? Where was the joy in what he was facing when he went to the cross as he experienced the the wrath of God? I mean, even hell itself for us. Where's the joy in that? Look, when the Hebrews writer is saying this, he's not saying, well, you know what, Jesus just slapped a smile on his face and just figured, you know what, ain't no thing, I'm just gonna go do this. No, if you look at the account of him right before he's arrested and taken to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's literally sweating blood. He's so worried and scared about what's coming up. It's so heavy weighing on him, and yet he prays, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. For the joy set before him, what was the joy? Jesus was able to look beyond what he was facing then and there, to the joy of what he was going to get ready to go through and what he would bring that joy for us and even for himself. He was able to take a step back as he was running the hardest race, something that our races can't even compare to. He was able to step back and say, "You know what I see God that you're, you're going to work this out for not only my good, but for the good of your people." And he did it with joy. Jesus was able to see the bigger picture. And of course, the point here in Hebrews 12 is to say, if he endured, you can endure. Fix your eyes on the one who endured for you, and you too can endure. Here's another way of thinking of this. Imagine if I could put you in a time machine and take you back to the foot of the cross, where if you read the biblical accounts all his followers were really in despair. I mean, some of them were weeping. They're just really worried. They're really scared for what Jesus was going through. I mean, what would you say to them in that moment? I mean, of course you'd say to them, guys, hey, I understand. This. Yeah, don't despair. I know that this is hard. I know this is really painful, what, what he's going through. But he is doing the miracle of all miracles. He is dying to give us all life. And God is gonna use us for tremendous good. I mean, maybe even in that time machine, you were able to take a Bible. Look, guys, I can show you the promises, they're true, they're here. You can trust God's gonna do a wonderful thing, even in the midst of hardship. But let me ask you: can you take your own advice? You'd probably say that to them. Can, can you hear those same words to you in whatever you're facing now? That's sure what you're facing is hard. It's not easy but God is going to work it and use it for good, and it can only make you stronger and happier in the end? Can you take your own words and of advice? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, this is really the antidote of all antidotes for facing hardship. No matter what you're facing, no matter the hardship, no matter the difficulty, fix your eyes on Jesus, The pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where are you fixing your eyes? Turn your eyes away to Jesus, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, please help us first to understand, and then secondly to carry out these wonderful promises and principles as we as we face hardship ourselves. And if there's anyone here today listening who has not yet received you as their champion and finisher of faith because of what you did for them on the cross, I pray that they would do so even now. Father, would you please help each of us fix our eyes on Jesus? We pray all this in his name. Amen. All right, well, let's continue to worship in song. We're getting ready to celebrate baptisms here shortly, but first I'm gonna pass things over to Chris to continue singing now.